Good morning, everyone. How is everyone today? Doing good? Yeah. My name is Nathan. For those I haven't met, I'm the lead pastor at LifeGate. Uh, thank you, Ange, for sharing that testimony. As I shared, in which you shared at 9 a.m. this morning and again today, I'm going, as a pastor here, it's just a real privilege to hear lives being transformed. We want to see people live in freedom, fulfill their purpose, and Andrew's doing that. We talk about getting real and taking action and doing those things too, so just makes my heart you know, excited to keep doing what we're doing because lives are being transformed. Amen? Amen. Are you ready for the word? We're going to pray and then we're going to go. Father, thank you for this opportunity to hear that testimony. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together and worship you and to give of our time and finance. And Father, we want to bless you this morning. Father, anoint me for this task, that you would remind me of what I prepared, that you would speak to me, and God, you would speak to us, that our ears and our hearts will be open to what you want to say in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. Um, my sister got married at the end of last year, and so she's still got a stack of stuff at the house, and in her rooms there's this really large, tall building wardrobe, and mum who has height issues like I do, asked me to help clean, clean out the cupboard. So we got the ladder out, clean, clean, started pulling boxes out. And as we were pulling boxes out, I, I found a box that was full of trophies. My trophies from when I was a, a little guy. Well, not so about the same height, but just much younger. Yeah? And, and as I started to look through the trophies, it reminded me of some things I found. I've got three to show you this morning, a bit of a show and tell, like in kindergarten. This is my under-14-1 premiership trophy. When I was under-14 soccer, we won the comp and we got a trophy. Another one here is for the Harold Fertile Memorial Award for Outstanding Public Speaking. So in, when I was in year 10, I won a, speaking, a public speaking competition. Another one's here from the Principal's Prize for Notable Participation in School Life. Year 12, 1995. Were you alive in 95? I was in year 12 in 1995. And, and as, I, as I thought about these trophies, these, these, these trophies were rewards for the things I did well. They were like saying, you've achieved, well done. And that's true in life, that as we go about life, and, and, and as we do well, we get rewarded in your business, if you do great in your job, if you reach your goals or whatever your culture is, your boss will pat you on the back. They, they, they may make you the employee of the month. They may give you a pay rise. They may give you a promotion. And those things happen because you do well or because you're a chief. If, if, if you're a scientist and, and if you're researching, if you find something special and you tell people about it and people want to celebrate, they put on a big event and they bring you to the front and they give you a reward, they pat you on the back because you've achieved and we want to reward you. If you're in a sporting team and you win the, win the comp, you get the trophy and the, the award money. If you're man of the match, they might give you a McDonald's voucher. I coach under 11 soccer. And, and the man of the match every week gets a, a $5 McDonald's voucher at Padstow Maccas. That's pretty cool. But the kid who does really well, I don't necessarily do it for that reason. I give it to whoever I think needs it or try their best. But it's usually about performance. People who perform well get the rewards. When, when, when kids are well behaved, we reward them. And when kids are naughty, we, we, we punish them. And so in our society today, if we achieve, if we do well, we are rewarded. And so it makes sense that when people think about God, and, and, and relationship with God, it makes sense for people to think, well, if I'm good, 
well, then I'll be rewarded by God. Now, I'm talking about before Jesus, yeah, people who aren't yet committed their life to people who aren't Christians yet. They think to themselves, well, if I'm good, well, then God will accept me. If I do well, God will reward me and he will welcome me into his family. You might have heard people say, well, if my good works outweigh my bad works, well, then surely God will accept me. Well, I haven't really killed anyone. And as long as I help the old lady across the street, as long as I'm not that mean, well, surely God will see that and he will go, you've done all right. Welcome into heaven. Welcome into my family. Let's be in relationship. But friends, that's not what the Bible talks about. That's not how it works. We aren't accepted by God by how good we are. We aren't rewarded by God by how good we are. We aren't included into God's family by how good we are. Because the reality is none of us are good good enough to be accepted by God. We all fail. We all stuff it up. And it's only through Jesus, who has done the work on the cross for us, that we can be accepted. In, um, I was about 19 years of age and I was living at home and I was out at the piano organising some music and my mum and her friend Kath were in the other living room and they were having a conversation. Now this lady, Kath, was one of the, a lady who we'd grown up with and she was Auntie Kath to me. Do you have aunties and uncles who aren't really aunties and uncles? Yeah? Well, she was Auntie Kath to me and my mum and Auntie Kath were having this discussion about how to get to heaven. And Auntie Kath was convinced she said, it's, 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 she said, if I'm good enough, God will accept me. If I don't do anything horrible, but, but I go to church and, and, and help people and, and treat my husband well, surely God will accept me. And mum was saying to her, no, Kath, it doesn't work that way. It's, it's, it's not about how good you are, but it's about what Jesus has done for you. And as you put your trust in Jesus, that's how you're accepted by God. That's how you're welcomed into his family. And from the the lounge room, my mum calls out to me and she says, Nathan, where is that verse in the Bible that says it's not by works that you can be saved? And I went, yeah, I know that verse. It says not by works, but but where's that verse? I don't know where that verse is. I'm going, I think it's there. I looked through my Bible and I couldn't find it, unfortunately. But after that, not knowing where that verse was, I then went and found it. And this is the verse, and I've never, ever forgotten it. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, this is what it says. It says, for it is by grace you've been saved. Now, the word grace, let's, just, let, let's explain that. Grace can mean God's, and they break it up into an acronym, acronym. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. People talk about it's the empowering presence of God. I just want to say it's God's kindness and God's mercy. God's kindness. God gives us something that we don't deserve. He says, it's by grace you have been saved. Now, if you're talking to people who don't know Jesus, who don't know church culture, and you say to them, you need to be saved, they go, am I in danger? Is there a a possum going to fall out of the tree? Is there a bus going to hit me? It's not language they understand. But the reality is everyone's in danger. And we do need to be rescued. And, And we're in danger of death. The Bible says that our sin, the the result of our sin is death. For the wages, what we deserve for our sin is death. And anyone who doesn't know Jesus is is on their way to death and separation from God forever. And so God saves them from death through Jesus. And we get that. How? 
through faith. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. Now, the word for faith is about trust. Is about relying upon. It's about surrendering. And as we put our trust, as we put our faith in God, He saves us. And He saves us not because of what we do, but because of His mercy, because of His kindness. He says, this is not from yourself. It's not what you've done. It's what Jesus has done. And it's a gift of God. You know, when you're given a gift, a gift is not a wage. A wage is money that you deserve from, for your work. A gift someone gives to you when you don't deserve it. Happy birthday, Donna White, 21 today. And no doubt, Beth you and Jess, you've organized. Why are you laughing? She's younger than you. Your mother's younger than you. Is that what we worked out this morning? Same age. Have you organized a nice gift? What have you organized for your mum today, Jess? Is it a secret? There are gifts, multiple gifts. And are you giving them because she's earned them? Well, in some ways, she's an awesome mum. Maybe she has earned them. But a gift is given because you love. Yeah, that's Mother's Day. You give a gift because you love and because you care. And God gives, offers us a gift. And all we do is receive it. In verse 9, it says, this, this, this grace... It's not by works so that no one can boast. There it is. That, that verse that I couldn't remember, it's there. It's not by works. It's not by what we do. It's not about helping old ladies across the street or being good enough. It's not by works so that no one can boast. So it's like saying, well, I'm better than this person because I did this. And, 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 and I gave all my money to here and I served here and I did this and I did that. Aren't I awesome? It's not like that. He says, it's not by work so that no one can boast. And then he goes on in verse 10 to say, for we are God's handiwork. Another word for handiwork can be masterpiece, workmanship. We are his handiwork, mastership, mastership, work, mastership, masterpiece, thank you, workmanship. I'm going, that doesn't sound right. What's wrong with that word? Masterpiece, workmanship in Christ Jesus. We're only his masterpiece workmanship, handiwork in Christ Jesus. And then it says to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, the works come after we're saved. We're saved. We're rescued from death. We, we, we get in relationship with God by putting our faith in him through God's kindness by giving us Jesus who died on the cross, who rose again, who offers us forgiveness of sin, offers us new life. As we put our faith in him, we receive the gift that, that God is offering us. And as people who have received the gift, as people who are God's handiwork, he then calls us to live a life that honors him, to do the works which God had prepared in advance for us to do. The works come after you're saved. You're saved by putting your trust in Jesus. We then love, our, we then love God and serve God. And I love what Daryl did when he was on MC and he talked about there are three types of relationships. That was brilliant. That was just gold. And it's about saying, God, here I am, here to serve you. And that's what it means to do the works that he wants us to do. Is that clear? Friends, I want to take you to um, Luke chapter 18 this morning, if you've got your Bibles. I want to take you to Luke chapter 18. I'm going to read it through. Here we go, verse 18. It says, A certain ruler asked Jesus, he said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? See, Benny. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. 
Jesus says, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And the man replies, all these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, the man became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what's impossible with man is possible with God. And then Peter said to him, we have left all we've had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Friends, I want to take you through this passage chunk by chunk. And I want to look at this, this, this our first couple of questions. It starts out in verse 18 and it says, A certain ruler in, in the, this, uh, by the way, this, this event is described in Matthew, Mark and Luke. It must be really important. They call him a rich young ruler, a rich man, a ruler, all different ways of describing this man. And, and, in, and in Luke's gospel, it calls him a certain ruler. And that certain ruler asked him, Jesus Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus responds, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, when you read that, that can be really confusing. Well, Jesus, what are you saying there? Are you saying that, why do you call me good? Is, is Jesus trying to separate himself from God? He's just trying to say, well, God's good, therefore I'm not, therefore I'm, there's this separation between us and God. Is that what Jesus is saying here? Now, if you, if you read it that way, you've got a problem. Because as you look at the rest of the scriptures, it doesn't describe, it doesn't describe Jesus and the Father's and the, the, the Godhead relationship like that. In John chapter 1, it says that Jesus was the Word, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In uh, John chapter 1, same chapter, in verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who, talking about Jesus, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. There's very clearly says that, that our Jesus is God. And in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 1, it talks about how Jesus is the exact representation of God. It's like getting two 20-cent pieces. They look the same, have the same date on it. If you look at Jesus, you're looking at God. Sure, they're, they're are separate. The Father's separate of the Son. The, son, the Son's separate of the Spirit. But when you look at Jesus, that is what God is like. So you can't read this verse like Jesus is saying, I'm separate from God, because the rest of the Bible says that Jesus is God, and he's the same as God. He is God. So how do we read it then? Well, when the man says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? When Jesus says, why do you call me good? He's actually flipping it and saying, if you're calling me good, therefore you must think that I'm God. If you're calling me good, therefore you must think that I'm God. 
It's another way of thinking about it, and that's the way we need to read this because of what the rest of the Scripture says. Then Jesus goes on and he says about, in verse 18, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus answers that. He says, You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, murder, steal, false witness, honor your father and mother. And, and the man says, All these I've kept since I was a boy. Now, if we go to Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus chapter 18, we have the list of the commandments. Here they are. Number one, have no other gods before me. It shouldn't be an apostrophe there, I was told in the morning tea break, and that's correct. There are no other gods, there's only one God. Have no idols. Honor God's name. Keep the Sabbath day. Uh, Honor your parents. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. And do not want what others have or do not covet. There's a picture of the Ten Commandments. And when Jesus responds to this man, he responds by saying, you know, the commandments, verse number five down to number ten. And and, and the man responds, this rich guy responds and says, all these I have kept since I was a young boy. In other words, this guy is one of the nicest guys you've ever met. Doesn't lie, treats his parents well, doesn't steal, doesn't commit adultery, doesn't covet your stuff. He's a great guy. You want him as your friend, you want him as your neighbor, you want, you want to have barbecues with him, you want to do life, because he's going to treat you really, really well. He's a, he's a, he's a great guy, right? Really good guy. And then Jesus says here, when he heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Now, if it was me, and I was speaking to this this rich guy, and and, uh, this guy asked me that question, and, and I say, you know the commandments. And I list off all the commandments about how you treat people. And then he says to me, I've done really well at them. I then ask this question. So tell me about the top four commandments about how you relate to God, idols, Sabbath day. How are you going with those four? But Jesus doesn't do that. Well, maybe you did. We're just not told about it. Jesus, go, Jesus, Jesus just goes straight for the issue in this man's life. And he says this, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Now we need to make it clear, this, this, this sell everything you have and give to the poor, that's not a universal direction for everybody. That's spoken to this man at that time. Why would Jesus say that? Because his wealth was his God. Going back to the commandments, number one, have no other gods before God. God needs to be Number one, and for this man, his wealth was his God. His finances was the most important thing. So Jesus says to him, get rid of that thing that's God in your life and come and follow me. Put me number one. And he wasn't willing to do it because his wealth was his God. And friends, the reality is God wants every one of us Like the commandment says in the first commandment, have no other gods before me. God wants us to have him as number one. He wants us to lay down whatever. For this man, it was wealth. For you, it might be a relationship. It might be your your phone. It might be your car. It might be your house. It might be 
a, a, a job, it might be anything that is in the way of putting God first. He wants it out of our way. But you know what? Many of us struggle to do that. And the reality of it, and the reality is none of us can do that. You know, you may struggle to put God or Jesus first because you don't know who Jesus is. And if you don't know who he is, you haven't committed your life to him. If you don't know, well, who are you, how, are you supposed, how are you supposed to follow this God that you don't know? Or maybe you don't see the value in putting God first. Life's okay right now, doing it your way. You've never experienced God first and you don't see the value in it. Maybe you want to control your life. Maybe you want to hold on and set your own destiny and say, I'm going there. I'm, I'm, God, I've, I've got my plans, thanks. I want to set my agenda for my life. Maybe you have the wrong view of God. And as a result, you don't trust him. And that makes sense if you don't see him as who he is. Or maybe you're just selfish. Maybe you're just all about you. I want what I want. And God, I'm going to put you second. I'm going to put you third. But because I know what satisfies me, I know what pleases me. I'm going to do that. Friends, whatever it is, God wants us to have him as the most important person in our world. And the reality is none of us do it perfectly. None of us do it right. We all fail. Now, Daryl Brown, he's a great guy. I know Daryl, lots of years. He's a godly, godly guy, and I really like Daryl, right? But Daryl can put God first for maybe a few hours in the day, and then it goes south. Would that be true, Daryl? Now, Sam's really, really, really good. She might be able to do half an hour more than Daryl, but then it goes south. And David Hodges might be able to do eight minutes, right? Eight minutes putting God first because he's such a dodgy, dodgy day. Eight minutes serving God. But because of our flesh, because of our fallen nature, we stuff it up. None of us can do it right. And that's the problem. And, and let me show you what comes next. Jesus says this. He says, Jesus looked at the man and said, after he said, after he walked away sad because he had lots of wealth, Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, that was believed to be a gate at the time. They called it the eye of a needle. Really, really skinny gate that you could get through if you're a person, but a camel, too fat, couldn't get through the gate. It was impossible for a camel to get through the gate. Jesus says, indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through that skinny gate than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So what Jesus is saying, it's impossible. Jesus is saying it's impossible for the rich, hear this, for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but I want to read down a bit more, verse 26. Those who heard this asked, well then, who can be saved? And, and I read that verse and I went, what's going on there? Why would they ask that question? Because if Jesus says the rich people can't get saved, Impossible for a rich person to get saved. Surely then, a poor person can get saved. It makes sense, doesn't it? Thanks for laughing in the foyer, even though you weren't listening, that was good. Um, if, if a rich person can't get saved, surely a poor person can get saved. Surely. What's going on here? I wasn't sure. Looked up some commentaries and I learned something. Are you ready for this? 
hope this is going to be helpful, help, really helpful for me. At the time of Jesus, this is the people's culture. This is what the people believed. This is not true biblically, and this is not what God thought. This is what the people thought at the time, what was culturally right. The people thought that if you were rich or if you were a ruler, you must have had God's approval. God's giving you the thumbs up. And if you're blind or crippled or poor, God was giving you the thumbs down and he was cursing you. I'll say that again. If you were rich, the people at the time saw you was blessed by God, loved by God, chosen by God. God was giving you the thumbs up. But if you were poor, if you were blind, if you were crippled, well, then God was cursing you and giving you the thumbs down. Let me illustrate this. In John chapter 9, when our Jesus goes and finds a blind man who's been blind from birth, his disciples say to him, who sinned because this man is blind? Was it his sin or was it his parents that sinned? And because they sinned, therefore, this guy's blind. And Jesus said, no, no, that's not how it works. If you keep reading the chapter, Jesus heals him. And then his parents are called in by the religious leaders. He himself then goes to the religious leaders. The, the, the religious leaders at the time hear the testimony of Jesus healing this man. And then the religious leaders say, dude, you were blind from birth. What would you know? You're a sinner from the very beginning. So they rid him off because of the blindness that was part of him growing up. And so at the time, if you were blind, if you were poor, it was believed that God Thumbs down, God was, God was squashing you, God was cursing you. But if you were rich, well, God's blessed you and God's given you the thumbs up. Now, when you understand that, it makes this scripture make much, much more sense. Jesus says it's impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, those who have got the thumbs up by God, those who have been from their perspective blessed by God, it's impossible for them. What hope has a poor person got? No hope. No wonder it says, well, then who can be saved? In other words, no one can be saved. And then Jesus says in verse 27, what's impossible with man is possible with God. Jesus is saying here, we cannot save ourselves. We cannot be good enough. We cannot rescue We. Even if, our, even if we're Mother Teresa, that person who gave her life to, to kids in need overseas, she is not good enough to get into heaven by her own ability because she fails those commandments. There was one time in her life, no doubt, where she lied or stole or didn't put God first, so therefore she is out. The reality is we are all stuffed. None of us can live up to God's expectations. None of us can, can, can fulfill those commandments like, like, like God intended. And so, friends, here's the good news. Here's the, the Bible talks about the gospel, which means good news. Here it is. That God knew that we couldn't do it ourselves. So he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to take our sin upon himself. And when he took our sin upon himself... He not only took our sin, he took our death sentence. He took the wrath of God that is on us for our sin. He put it on himself. Friends, Jesus fulfilled the law. He lived those Ten Commandments perfectly. He lived the life that we couldn't live. And when he hung on that cross and in, the, in, the, and in those final words when he declared, it is done, it is finished, 
He completed it for us. He made a way for me and for you to be forgiven. He made a way for our relationship with God to be restored. He made it possible. He did it for us. Jesus done it for us. Bad language, but you can go with it. Jesus done it for us. It's done. Jesus did it for us. I grew up in, a, in Sunday school. Um, Jenny Crawford, those who know Jenny, was one of my Sunday school teachers. She must have been the best Sunday school teacher ever because look what she produced. Hey, like, wow, amazing. When I was, I'm joking. When I was a little kid, and then as I, as I became a teenager, like 10, 11, 12, that's not teenager, 10, 11, 12, 13, I had a different Sunday school teacher who taught me a lot around the law. Heaps about the Old Testament. Taught about the kings and the tunnels and the, and the tabernacle and the buildings and the sacrifices. All good knowledge. And he also taught a heap about the commandments. And from my understanding, he taught it this way, that here are the Ten Commandments. This is, what, this is, how, this is how God wants you to live, which is true. And you, and you need to live up to those expectations. Now, that's wrong. At the age of 13, he asked us to write down on a bit of paper what a Christian was. Still remember it. The first thing I wrote was this. Someone who believes in God. Now, Satan believes in God. Yeah? Someone who believes in God. And does the commandments, does the Ten Commandments, full stop. Now, whether or not he taught me that or that's what I heard, it's wrong. Because the reality is none of us can do the Ten Commandments. We all fail. And a few years later, I found this verse in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous, right with God, right standing with God, No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law, by doing the law. Rather, here it is, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. As we look at the Ten Commandments and we go, that is good. And it is God's expectation for us. He wants us to live that way. But we can't. We can't put God first every time. If you lie once, you failed. If you've stolen anything, you're done. Jesus takes it to a whole new level and says, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've broken that commandment. Adultery, done. Coveting, done. We're stuffed. Stuffed. I'm stuffed. You're stuffed in love. We are. Isn't it right, Has? And so when we look at the law, we recognize our stuffness. We recognize that we're busted up, that we can't do it. And then we have Jesus. Then we have Jesus, who lives those Ten Commandments perfectly and went to that cross and died, and he'd done it for us. When he declared it's finished, he lived it. He made a way for us to have a relationship with God. He made a way for sin to be dealt with. He made a way for God's anger to be appeased. He made a way for us to spend Eternity with God. Jesus has done the work. All we need to do is receive the gift that he's offering. Have you received his free gift this morning? You know, we talk about trophies. We talk about getting rewarded. And if we do good, well, then we're recognized. And if we achieve well, well, then... But in, but in God's economy, none of us achieve it 
like we should. And so Jesus achieved it for us. Are you, are you hoping that God will accept you because of your good works? Do you have an understanding? Do you think that if your good works outweigh your bad works, you'll be okay? Are you relying on your own goodness for God to accept you? Because if you're any of those things, it's not going to work. The Bible's very clear. It's only through faith, trust, reliance upon what Jesus has done for me and for you. If you're here this morning and you've never become a Christian, if you're here this morning and you're relying on your own works, well, you can change that today. You can put your faith in Jesus right now. And you can be welcomed by God, accepted by God, forgiven by God, in relationship with God. That can happen right now. And we do that as we ask Him to forgive us, forgiveness for our wrongdoing, and we put our faith in Him. I'm going to lead you in a prayer of, of salvation. A prayer that says, God, I know I've messed up. And I, and I know I'm not good enough on my own. I need Jesus. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died for me and rose again. God, I'm sorry for my wrongdoing. Please forgive me. I choose to follow Jesus from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.